A week and a half ago, the 1976 Women's Basketball Olympic team was inducted into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame, and today I am joined by silver medalist and now Hall of Famer Gail Marquis to discuss everything from the lead-up to the Olympics in Montreal to her homecoming with the silver medal. We also chat about the team's lasting impact on women's basketball, as well as Gail's time in the WBL and more. Ogumba Wallet for the win! You are Locked On Women's Basketball, your daily podcast on women's basketball. Hello and happy Wednesday. You are locked on to women's basketball. I'm Natalie Hebron, and I'm a features writer and the Atlantic 10 beat reporter for the next. Thanks for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. And remember, Locked On Women's Basketball is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. Today, we'll be chatting all about Gail Marquis' Hall of Fame induction with her 1976 Olympic teammates, her Olympic experience, and the team's lasting impact on women's basketball, her time in the WBL, and more. Joining me today is 1976 silver medalist, Naismith Hall of Famer, former New York Stars player, Gail Marquis. If this is your first time listening to Locked on Women's Basketball, we at The Next have over 100 reported pieces every single month. We have a beat reporter on every single WNBA team, so get that YouTube subscription up, and you can also support us at The Next by subscribing to The Next for $9 a month, $72 a year at thenexttubes.com. Joining me today is Gail Marquis, who is inducted with her teammates and the coaching staff of the 1976 Olympic team into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame on August 12th. Thank you for joining me today, Gail. Can you tell me what that moment of being inducted into the Hall of Fame was like for you? Uh, Thanks so much, Natalie. It's great to be here. Uh, What that moment was, I was telling my friends, I was really trying to get that moment just to slow down because so much was coming at me from uh, the time we got the word back in April that we were going to be selected, that we had been selected uh, right up until the moment when it finally built up and we're on stage and our co-captain Julene is is reading about us and it's just so real to look out to the audience and uh, to say it's it's finally happened. And by that I mean what ball player doesn't think about going into the Naismith Hall of Fame? I've been inducted, I'm so gracious to have been inducted to my Queens College Hall of Fame and the New York City Basketball Hall of Fame, but to have this Nate Smith, which to me is the National Hall of Fame, to be selected and inducted and enshrined, it's just one of the top honors of my career. Yeah, and building off of that, you know, what did it mean to get that recognition for the team uh, and for yourself um, and be able to call yourself a member of the Nate Smith Hall of Fame? Well, it... it uh, I don't want to say it validated what we did because as a woman, as a black woman, I am almost used to being shunned. Um, if you're a ball player in my era, when we came up in the 70s, 80s, we were always uh, uh, an asterisk or a plus or, oh, by the way. But now we are in there full-fledged and you can't take away from us the accomplishments that we did uh, for my team, my teammates many of whom would not have had this opportunity 
Uh, I keep saying this 1976 Olympic team is the team that keeps on giving because every every time around the corner, something pops up. Uh, for my teammates, you know, many of them, only two of them had been, maybe three. I take it back. I'm sorry, four. I forgot about two of them who had, had since passed away, Lucy and Pat. Uh, but Nancy and Annie had already been inducted as individuals. For the rest of us, it's a great moment. It's a great moment for my other uh, seven teammates. Two of my coaches, Billie Jean Moore and uh, Sue Gunter, had already been inducted as individuals. Now the whole team is in there. Uh, similar to when we received the Olympic medals back in Montreal, all of us held hands as we hopped up onto the podium, all 12 of us, to uh, receive our silver medals. It felt like that same moment. We were all holding hands. All of us were on the stage, and we all were ready to hop up. We did hop up there and actually took our place in history. It was just a great moment. And what do you hope young boys and especially young girls watching or attending the induction were able to learn about the history of the game and your team specifically? I think they learned perseverance. And you know what I was, what I enjoyed at the VIP reception, which we had prior to walking the red carpet and going into Symphony Hall for the actual enshrinement. And even the day before, I met quite a few fathers. I met quite a few fathers. Some were Hall of Famers themselves. Other than others were, you know, nice looking guys who came up and said, thank you for what you did. I have a daughter. She's 17. She's she's in high school. She's playing. She's on her way. And she never could have done it without you. And I didn't want to say it. I just said thank you. But in essence, you're so right. If we haven't hadn't done what we did, if we hadn't gotten knocked down or if we had not challenged the status quo, if we had not challenged the fact that. Title IX was in effect, and whatever monies you spend on a on a boys or a men's program, you need to spend it on a on a women's program, a girls program, a girls rec league, a girls high school team. So uh, to those fathers who acknowledged and understood, I say thank you so much. Thank you for being allies. Thank you for coaching your girls basketball team or soccer team or softball team. Thank you for stepping up and coaching a girls team. When it wasn't that advantageous, it probably wasn't profitable. But, you know, you took your place as one of our allies. And look, now your daughter has a chance for a scholarship. Your daughter has a chance to learn the sport that you loved or one of the sports you love. Your daughter has a chance to be a leader because that's what playing sports and especially team sports teaches you how to be a leader and how to stand up to leaders and, and fill that leadership role. So it's it's still a very good moment. And I, I applaud the boys and girls who acknowledge it. The young people now, they realize it. And they're, they're hearing more. They're understanding more. What was the overall highlight uh, of the weekend, uh, of Hall of Fame weekend for you? You know, probably as simple as it is with just seeing my teammates. It had had to be at least 20 years since all of us had gotten together uh, I, I speak to Trish Roberts on the phone occasionally. Uh, Julene and I have gone out to lunch. If uh, Annie is in the area of New York, New Jersey, you know, we'll do a phone call. I hadn't seen Annie for a while. And uh, Sue Royce with Marianne O'Connor, we played against each other in college for two years. And then uh, in summer camps, we were together. But to see all of us together, uh, a couple of days before the actual enshrinement 
And we were finishing each other's sentences. We were gabbing. We were back and forth. How's the family? I mean, Annie Myers came there with her three children who are grown. They're in their 30s. And I had never met them. Annie sends out pictures, Christmas cards with the three Ds, Darren, DJ, and Drew, all over the I never met them. So it was so good just to be with my teammates, meet the families, hear the stories, just find out what they were up to date on. And then, oh, by the way, pick up the hardware for the Hall of Fame induction. Um, you know, what was that like getting to be all together for the first time in a couple of decades? Was it like no time had passed at all? It kind of felt like that. Uh, but we, we sort of filled in the blanks. Um, I was happy to hear from Sue Royce, which she said she had had some health issues and she had battled through. And it was nice to hear where she had been and where she came. And I was so glad she was able to make, make the trip. Um, I played in Europe for a few years after the Olympics because there was no place to play in America. And one of my opponents was Marianne O'Connor. So we go from being on the Olympic team together to being opponents. And I hadn't seen her for a number of years. And just to catch up and fill in the blanks, uh, Nancy Lieberman, I knew she had gotten married. We played against each other in the pro leagues, had lost track of her. So, again, just to catch up and hear the stories of where they were. And it, it felt like time had passed, but in the same token, I felt we were catching up again. Like like Annie was filling in the blanks, and uh, Annie's going to be a grandmother soon. So what are they going to call Annie? What are they going to call you, Granny Annie or Grandma? What are they going to and Annie is so soft-spoken with those pretty blue eyes. She she could just smile. She couldn't even answer. And then you have Julene, who has two daughters and I think two or four grandkids. And just to catch up on those stories, it was just wonderful. Coming up next, Gail talks about her journey to Montreal in 1976, what the team meant for the future of women's basketball, and more. Today's episode is brought to you by Ibotta. Picking up burgers and hot dogs for a summer barbecue? You know you're already doing it, so why not get cash back for it with Ibotta? Ibotta gives you cash back on hundreds of grocery items, from produce to personal care to pantry goods, so you can make sure you're beating inflation no matter what you're purchasing. Either link your loyalty account or upload your receipt after you shop and get your cash back. It's that easy. The average Ibotta user earns $120 per year. That could cover the cost of an entire shopping trip, or you could use the cash back to buy that flight you've been eyeing, that game you're dying to go to, or the fancy dinner you've been craving. Other apps give you points that don't amount to much. With Ibotta, you get real cash back that you can cash out to your bank account, PayPal, or gift cards. You can earn cash back on hundreds of online brands and retailers, too, when you start with Ibotta, including Lowe's, Macy's, Sephora, Best Buy, and more. Right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 just for trying it by using code LOCKED when you register. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app and use code LOCKED. That's I-B-O-T-T-A in the Google Play or App Store and use code LOCKED. Thanks for making Lockdown Women's Basketball your first listen every day. Make sure to tune in later this week for more from me and a special Friday episode with the Bay Area News Group's Alex Simon. And, you know, in case our listeners don't know, the 1976 Olympic team was the first U.S. women's basketball team to compete in the Olympics 
Uh, Gail, can you take me back? What was the preparation like for it, and what was your journey to the Olympic team like? Uh, yes, that 1976 team, um, I had tried out previous years, and to go through the process, it was it had about a 1,000 people across the country, a 1,000 girls and women across the country tried out for that Olympic team. Uh, they had regional tryouts in different parts of the country, and they brought us all together in Central Missouri State College in Warrensburg, Missouri. They brought us all together, not the 1,000. I went to one tryout that was 250 girls and women, and the manager came out, Miss Rollins, Jean Rollins, and she said, we're only taking five of you out of 250. So you just kind of lace up your sneakers, you you put on the blinders like a racehorse, and you just go in there to get the job done just to make it to the final trial. And so that's what I had to do uh, in 1976, in May of, two, mm. of 1976. And then after doing that, we went to the regionals where they brought in the other areas as well as the Pan Am team from the year before. But that Pan American team, that 1975 team, had lost the world championships. So the team had not qualified for the Olympic team. So in essence, we were trying out for a team to qualify for the Olympics. The U.S. had not qualified for the Olympic Games in women's basketball. So we we are there for these tryouts in May of 1976. And, and once the team is selected, that's when I found out there is no Olympic team. We are, we are going to qualify. Well, that's May. Our first set of games were, let's say, around July 1st, where we were going to go up against a round robin of other countries, Poland, Cuba, Jamaica, Bulgaria, teams who had not qualified for the Olympic Games but wanted a shot. There were two places open. Uh, so our team had to get together in about six weeks and get chemistry, get athletic proudness, learn the drills, uh, get all of our stamina together, and just blend 12 players, uh, including three new ones, Trish Robbins, Cindy Brogdon, and myself. We were not on the previous team. We were selected to fill certain voids and maybe boost up the physicality or the jump shots or the athleticism, but we were selected. We had to blend in with with the Nancy Liebman and Annie Myers, Julene, Marianne, and Sue, we had to blend in in six weeks and also get our get our stamina up and get our conditioning up. We go to the trials, excuse me, the training camp. We finished it after six weeks. We were just ecstatic. Now I can go play games because the training cramps were brutal. We go to Hamilton, Ontario, where we're competing against other countries. And we played them all. I believe we beat all of them, including uh, uh, top teams from Cuba. We beat a top team from Bulgaria, Poland, France. And then we won the gold medal in that round. Bulgaria came along with us. And from there, we were selected. Because we won that, that pre-tournament round, we were allowed to go to Montreal, Canada, and, and represent the USA. And the first time... They ever had women's basketball at the games. And in that quick two-week period from the time we qualified and won the qualifying tournament until two weeks later when they had an actual Olympic team, our USA delegation, they had no idea that we would make it. They did not think a women's basketball team 
would be representing the USA. They didn't think USA would be in the women's basketball round because they had done poorly in the world championships the year before. So hence, there was no room for us at the inn. There were no reservations. There were no uniforms. There was no money. All the, all of the money, all of the budget was given to the men's team. But thank goodness we did not know about this until 10 years later when we had one of our first reunions when Coach Billie Jean Moore and Sue Gunner and, and Gene Rollins, our uh, team manager, verified that, that there was no money. That's why when we finished the qualifying tournament, we stayed in New York. We stayed in Rochester, uh, the area where Eastman Kodak, and we had good friends at Kodak, Hunter Lowe and George Eastman, who allowed us to stay at Rochester Institute of Technology in their, in their rooms, as well as relax at the Eastman Estate. We just thought we were being wined and dined. We had no idea that there was no place for us at the Olympic Village yet. Our executive director of ABA USA, the the governing body of women's basketball, men's and women's basketball, they gave our coach, Billie Jean Moore, Bill Wall gave her his personal credit card, $300. He said, just take care of the ladies and I'll get this fixed. And about 10 days later, we were driving into Plattsburgh, New York, which was a staging area before we went to the Olympic Games. And like I said, we had no idea. We were just showered with the gifts that all the previous Olympians received, our uniforms. They weren't quite ready, but we had a few days before the Games. They took our measurements. And before you knew it, we were walking in the opening ceremonies of the Olympic Games. And it was the first time women's basketball had ever been played at the Olympic Games. We were there. Um, you know, when you were talking to uh, our own T. Baker, um, you recalled a, a quote from head coach Billy Moore um, when she said, if we don't win, this will set us back another 25 years. No pressure. Um, I believe that was uh, the qualifying tournament. You know, what was that moment like and what was it like, you know, moving past that and winning the game um, and moving women's basketball in the United States forward? Yes, uh, uh, that moment came in the uh, last game of our Olympic Games. We had we had lost to Japan the first game at eight in the morning. I think they made us play. We lost to Japan. We beat the host country, uh, Canada, and we beat Bulgaria. We lost to Russia by 25. So we were at a 2-2 stalemate. Uh, Bulgaria went on to beat Japan. And so there was sort of a two-way or three-way tie for that silver medal. And Coach Moore pulled us in, and she said this to us sort of as a pregame before we played Czechoslovakia, our final game. Uh, they didn't have a medal round. It's just whoever had the best records. So that, that game before, she said, you know, we've come this far, but if we don't win this game against Czechoslovakia, we will not only not receive a medal, but – it would affect women's sports for about the next 25 years. And uh, she said, we win this game and we will affect in a positive way women's sports going forward for the next 25 years. That was in 1976. We won the game. Uh, eight years later, women's softball made their debut at the 1984 Olympic Games. You look at the progression of girls and and uh, women's basketball as well as soccer. That's when they started to put money 
into Title IX, which was passed by Richard Nixon at the time. They put money into it. You had the rec leagues. You had girls programs. Started setting up that feeder system. Look at our soccer team now. We have the best feeder system going through the rec leagues, right into college, and right into the pros. Same thing for basketball. They have great recreational leagues, middle school, biddy ball, high school, uh, top ten, all, all of it, all American teams. That was never there before. And so we put together that whole channel system because uh, they could start to see, our allies could see, men and women could see what could be. Teach the same way you teach the the boys, teach the women, teach the girls, and, and that's what our win did. So uh, all of that came to us. A lot of it settled in, uh, I think, months after, years after. Uh, I was 21 on that team. Some of us were younger. Nancy, I think, was 18. Some were 19 and 20. I was 21. And then you had like a pat head uh, who was probably 22, 24. Julene was about 24. Uh, so they had a longer experience. But to hear Billy's quote and to then sit back and see how it resonates. I may not have seen it in 76 because I had to leave America to go play basketball in France because there was no place for me to play in my own country. But upon return, uh, I returned in 80 or 81 when they did have a pro league. And I got a chance to play professionally in America. And you saw how things were advancing. And I don't have to tell you now, uh, from college sports to the pros to the B leagues or G leagues or the recreation, it's just leaps and bounds, the things that we're providing now for our girls and women. So our words back there, 20, oh, excuse me, 47 years ago, really fast forward, they really did come to fruition. And that's why, that's why we're being inducted. Uh, sometimes it takes years. It takes 10, 20, years, 47 years, until you can say, you know, nobody else did that before. Or what they said back in 1976, it came to fruition here in the in the 2000s. So uh, it takes time. I'm so glad they called our number and my team was inducted this weekend. Another proud moment for me, for my team, and for women's basketball. Coming up next, Gail talks about the impact of the 1976 and 1996 Olympic teams on the WBL and WNBA, as well as her time with the New York Stars, the moment she received her Olympic medal, and more. And, you know, you mentioned the WBL. How do you think the 76 Olympic team helped pave the way for the WBL? Uh, the WBL was in, let's see, that started up, I played in that one, 79, 80, around 1980. To look at the WNBA now, uh, it took a couple of Olympic games. We were 76, and you look at the 1984 team that won gold, and you kept going. That 1996 team, with Olympic team with Cheryl Swoops and Teresa Witherspoon uh, on it, and uh, Rebecca Lobo. That was a standout. That was a, stall, a, a, a solid team, a stellar team. That was a culmination. And that gave David Stern and the NBA the launch, the confidence to say, it's time for the women to take their, sta their, their stage, their steps on the stage and become the professional athletes that they know. And from there, the WNBA and, and excuse me, the NBA embraced the women's game. And I always remember uh, asking 
David Stern, who at the time was the commissioner of the NBA. How long is this going to last? How long are you going to, how long is the WNBA going to be around? And he said, as long as I'm alive, it'll be here. Unfortunately, we lost uh, David Stern, but Adam Silver, he stepped right in and filled in the blank. And that league going into his 27th season, it's really head and shoulders above any professional team. And I also like to look at the number of international players who come to America to play in our colleges and also find their way into the WNBA. So uh, it was just a prime moment. And, and all of it is coming to fruition. You start to see now how, you know, that one moment back in 76, how it projected us and look where we are now. And, you know, even going back before it, how do you think that, uh, do you think that the 76 Olympic team helped propel the start of the WBL in a similar way that the 96 Olympic team propelled the WNBA? I think the WBL, it gave it a chance. You know, there were uh, businessmen at the time who were interested in starting the league and they might have thought it was similar to the NBA. It was not. But they had that vision that it could be. Uh, many of our games in the WBL, which is the precursor to uh, the WNBA, our games were played in, I mean, I played in Madison Square Garden as a pro. And and some of the others played in some of the top-notch arenas, like the Superdome in Louisiana and New Orleans. So they had that vision. Unfortunately, they didn't have the funding or the money. And even to this day, uh, the last couple of years, the WNBA has had to figure out the money issue. Uh, we don't want to have another incident of a Brittany Griner going to Russia because they pay her more to to play in their country than she does here in this country. So the WBL, which was around the 1978, 1980s when that began, that was a team, that was a league that had an idea. They 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 wanted it to be just like the NBA, but it it just wasn't right time for it or it didn't have the funding. That's what really stopped it. But they kept going at it. I also was with the ABL, American Basketball League. That was around 1992. I think I started up with that group. I was a broadcast color commentator at that time. And that was a very successful league until it had to go and compete against the WNBA and the salaries. Even though they were low, maybe 50, 70, 100,000, but compete in getting those top players. Uh, that's when they faulted. But kept pushing it. Uh, you know, uh, we saw that we saw that it was it was time it was needed a pro league. The pro league only advanced our Olympic teams as the Olympic Games lost that sole amateur standing, and they started to take more professionals in. And uh, you know, what was your favorite memory of uh, playing uh, with the New York Stars in the WBL? Probably my favorite memory was winning the championship. I had uh, I had a great coach in Dean, the Dream Meminger. He had played at Marquette University and also at the New, for the New York New York Knicks at one time, and then he was coaching. He came in to coach us. Uh, he was our our coach from the beginning. And and what I liked about Dean was that he was coached by a guy Al McGuire at Marquette. So Dean was bringing in those coaching skills. And he was also coached by Red Holtzman, another Hall of Fame coach with the New York Knicks. So in essence, I was being coached by Red Holtzman, Al McGuire, 
Dean Memminger. I was receiving that kind of instruction. Uh, there were certain plays that we ran. We ran one that was called 1098 in the pros. And it was sort of like a helter-skelter play. And it came at the shot clock got down to 10, 9, 8. We would just run helter-skelter all around guarding, guarding different people, just trying to increase the pressure on the opponent who only had 10, 9, 8 seconds to shoot. And by pushing that up and just running that, that play and pushing the pace, our opponents also would just take whatever kind of shot, maybe with five seconds left on the clock, as opposed to working out a good play. So those were, I, I just appreciated learning from Dean, Al McGuire, Red Holtzman, bringing that aspect to my game. Uh, great teammates, great coaching. Again, unfortunately, they didn't have the money or the funding to sustain us. But uh, that was a high point for me, winning a championship with the New York Stars and also playing in Madison Square Garden as uh, the, one of the first women's pro basketball teams to play at Madison Square Garden. Now you have the Liberty who played there. They've since moved out of there. But uh, our New York Stars were the first ones and the first ones to win a championship. So I got that on tape in case the Liberty tried to come back and say they were first. Um, you know, taking a step back and going back to the Olympics, you know, take me back to that moment of getting your silver medal. What was that like? And what was your response from your family and friends? You know, I, I tell people when I go out and lecture or talk to others, uh, it's a moment you never forget. It's a moment I reflect on every single day of my life. Not a day goes by that I don't think of that Olympic moment whether it's hopping up there to receive my silver medal, or especially the training camp, the trials, the perseverance of having been uh, cut or not so chosen or selected for a previous national team, but able to put all my skills together for that one special team. And that moment, not only when, when Coach Moore told us about uh, if we win this game against Czechoslovakia, but for me, the opening ceremonies, uh, just to be with other Olympians, uh, from the men's basketball team to, to people who won gymnastics. They were telling us about some girl from Romania who was doing flips on the high bar and, and earning tens. That was Nadia Komenich. And then to meet other Olympians, uh, from Cuba, from other countries, from Africa, who hadn't been to the games before or whose country had them so secluded that you, you know, they never got a chance to get out. I remember uh, looking at the great boxing champ, Tia Fella Stevenson from Cuba. He was a three-time Olympian gold medalist in heavyweight boxing. I thought he looked like my brother Leon, but he was just so, so chiseled and just what a great star. And I, I had, I had seen these champions before and now to see them up close and for me to be a part of them, the Olympic ceremony when we entered the Olympic arena and that whole rush of that big opening and then walking through that opening which was dark until our delegation of 300 turned and was on the field of the Olympic Stadium in Montreal and to hear them announce the team from the United States of America and then to see Queen Elizabeth up there in a beautiful pink suit and a pink hat and her, her purse on her arm, her pocketbook, just waving at me, waving. I knew she was waving at me. Forget about the other 299. <laughs> she was waving at Gail out there in the field. And they said, don't take pictures. 
I took pictures. I had my little instamatic. I took a picture of the Queen of England waving at me as I marched in with my team, my whole delegation. Uh, those are the proud moments. And then we get a chance to put on red, white, and blue and play for our country. And it didn't sink in uh, until almost years later that it was the first time that women had ever played or the impact, you know, as we're going to the 1980 games, which I tried out for, and our team did not go because the president, uh, Carter at the time, he said that our delegation would not go. So nothing is promised to you. Then you had the 84 teams. It was a little too late for me. But but in the same token, uh, just those special moments, apart from shooting a basket or, or getting into the game or, or winning the medals, those early moments. And then as a whole team, when we get up there to, to be awarded a, a silver medal at the Olympic Games, you know, my prayer, my hope was always to make the Olympic team. I never prayed for a medal. I didn't play for a starting position or playing time. I just wanted to make the Olympic team. And I was very fortunate to have that happen for me and to play hard, to really work out my teammates like a Pat Head and Annie Myers, Nancy Dunkel, Lucy Harris. You know, I laid a hurting on them because I wanted to be as physical as they had been to me when I was trying out. And I wanted to emulate some of those other teams that we were going up against. If I wasn't going to get a lot of playing time, I was definitely going to make it hard or, or make it a workout for uh, my teammates who were going to go out there and represent us. So those are all of the proud moments and memorable moments. And then to get that medal around my neck and to have the two kisses and be with my teammates. And I often tell the kids that I wore that medal all day. I went to bed that night. I took the medal off and put it on the nightstand by me and then woke up and put it right back on, went to brush my teeth and get dressed because the next day I was returning to New York City and my parents would meet me at the airport. I hadn't seen them in three months because there was no break from making the team, quali qualifying and going on to the Olympics. We just stayed together and didn't see parents or, or anything. So happy to see them. They were so proud. My father, who doesn't talk much, he was elated. I think he asked me, could he take the medal to work with him? He was a, he worked at the post office at Grand Central Station in New York. I said, yeah, of course, daddy, go take the medal with, you know, he, he put, he had it in the case. He took it to work. Uh, he started to cook for me. My father never ever cooked for me unless <laughs> it was me throwing a barbecue grill. But he said, can I make something for you? He was just so outgoing to me and I, I just let him be. I just let him have his moment. Uh, you know, that's the way he was showing me how proud he was uh, about the accomplishment, what I had done, what we had done, what we had done. I, I think sometimes he couldn't believe that I was his daughter, that I had done things. Um, there was times when I was growing up and playing for Queens College where on a rare occasion when we were on at the six o'clock news and he's getting ready to go to work and they might show me making a shot against Immaculata and you know, he would ask my mother, where's Gail? She's on the TV. And, and she would say, well, she's with the team. You know, they didn't, they didn't travel with me. They didn't, they didn't frequent the game, frequent the games as much as parents do today. But, um, I think they were a little bit in amazement, uh, especially up through those Olympic moments when I, when I didn't come home, when I had to call my mother from, from training camp in Missouri to say, um, I'm not coming home. 
She said, is everything okay? I said, yeah, but I made the Olympic team, so I'm not coming home. I don't know when I'm coming home. Okay, all right, I'll tell your father. And that was it. That, that was how nonchalant they were about it. So when I come home with that medal and get to show it to them, present to them, you know, that's when they saw it was real. I, w- I was back home. I was the girl that they knew again. Uh, that is maybe one of my favorite stories I've heard. And I, I love that your your dad was so proud of you and wanted to show off your medal. Um, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but just overall, how uh, how do you think that the 1976 Olympic team shaped the future of women's basketball? I think they shaped it because we set such a high standard. Uh, we started off with a win. We started off with a medal. Uh, the training that we went through, the conditioning, uh, just uh, the the quality of the players itself. I think also it kind of opened it up. Yes, they had that 1975 team that they thought they had the best of the best. They were open to, you know, making some changes to, to tweak that 1976 team to make it even better so they get a chance to win that qualifying tournament. And then for us to go in there, and we lost to Russia. We played Russia, the Soviet Socialist Republic, they were, so it conglomerate. They had huge players. They had seven foot, 300, 400 pound players that we had to go against. We lost that game by 25. The previous game, they had lost by 43 to Russia. So we were closing the gap. They started to see it. So our USA teams could start to see how did they do it? Speed quickness, endurance, spreading the floor, opening things up, uh, slashing to the basket, Uh, teams that came after us, coaches that came after us, they could see ways ways to do it. It wasn't, don't play into the, the Soviet game of just walking the ball up, pass, 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 and shoot. They could see ways around it. So uh, the way we impacted, I have to think of one of my, um, my uh, friends, who's a five-time Olympian, Teresa Edwards, University of Georgia, and a five-time Olympian who came after me. And she she saw my Olympic medal because I was at an event, and she was marveling about it. I said, T, this is a silver medal. And she said, yeah, Gail. I said, T, you got five of them. She said, yeah, Gail, but you got the first. And that, you know, coming from Teresa, I mean, Teresa would say something like that. You got the first. And for that, for that reason, you know, I know we're always going to be heralded. I know we'll always be appreciated by our women ball players. I know they'll always understand and they will uphold that standard. Nobody wants to come in with anything less than a gold or a silver. And we've set the standard for them now. Thank you so much for joining me today, Gail. Thanks for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. Everydayers, make sure to tune back in tomorrow to hear more from me and tune in Friday to hear a special Friday episode from the Bay Area News Group's Alex Simon.